Hey, what up, Blondheads? Welcome to another edition of your 2020 Philly Mag Best of Philly podcast. In this interview, we sit down with Greg Seltzer. He's a CPA. He's an attorney at one of the most prestigious and largest law firms in town. He's an author of multiple books, and he happens to be the founder and brains behind the Philly Music Fest. Greg sits with us and talks about the genesis for Philly Music Fest, how he was influenced by Newport Folk Festival. He discusses his handling of a lease between Citizens Bank Park and the NHL, the role music played growing up in his world, discovering jazz at Penn State, um, his interest in how historical events affect and shape the music that follows, and what the Philly Festival is going to look like uh, during COVID in 2020. He also divulges the amount of fish shows he's been to, which is kind of ludicrous, and he gives us some artists and groups we should be listening to from the Philly area. Don't forget to share this with your friends, family, co-workers, enemies, everyone, because that's how the podcast grows. And the more people celebrating Philly, the better. Don't forget to follow us on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all as The Philly Blunt. We hope you enjoy this interview with them, the fascinating and super productive Greg Seltzer. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Philly Blunt. My name is Johnny Goodtimes. I'm Reef. They call me Greg. And we are excited this week to be joined by uh, yet another uh, jack of all trades. This man is a lawyer, an accountant, uh, the founder of uh, Philly Music Festival. Uh, he's uh, written a couple books. I mean, it, it, the list kind of goes on and on. The more I was. Um, the more I was reading, you know, kind of looking at the resume, the more I was just getting annoyed by um, how accomplished you are. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's what we do on the blunt. I think yeah. he is. I'm glad to be here. You guys are, seem like real pros. You lead with the accountant. That, that's really going to keep the viewership here. <laughs> <laughs> I just got done work. I want to hear what this accountant has to say. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the hook. That's the, that's the, that draws them in. They're like, oh, numbers. You know what, though? With all the craziness in the world, you might just want to sit down and talk to an accountant, man. Just yeah. slow it down a little bit. Right. So, uh, I mean, lots to cover here, and I guess we'll start with the Philly Music Fest and what it's going to look like in a, you know, post-COVID world and what your, what adjustments you've had to make. Well, post-COVID, yeah, post-COVID world, and, and thanks guys for being here. I love you guys. Love the show and can't wait to banner with you guys for a little bit. So post, post-pandemic, post-COVID, uh, we're going to be back to normal, I hope. Um, I don't know when that is. Probably fall 22. Um, uh, maybe fall 21 would be awesome. I would hope fall 21. But um, in COVID, I think you're in a position where it's either you cancel or postpone your festival or you figure out a workaround. So uh, I would say in April, May, we were looking to try to still have this thing in person in September. And then you get into June, July, and it's you're in, we got to cancel and postpone or pivot. And, um, you know, with the good people from our more music hall and some creative thinking, we, uh, we decided to pivot. So in COVID, um, we're going with a live stream, uh, post COVID. I think we're going to hopefully be right back to, uh, four nights of sold out shows in Philly at, uh, independent music clubs and, um, featuring all Philly bands. So that's the hope. Um, so what, what, 
when did, let's let's work backwards a little bit. When did the what was the genesis of this? When did the Philly Music Fest start, uh, and why did you want to start it? Yeah, good. So uh, we started in 2017. So this is the fourth year. Um, so we did 2017, 2018, what 2019, all in person, uh, all small club shows, uh, four nights sold out the last two two years, all four nights. Um, why did it start? Um, it, it's kind of a mystery to me, to be honest, but I, I think the genesis really points to some work I did on the legal and business side with the Newport Folk Festival. Um, so the Newport Folk Festival is just a gem of, a, of a, yeah. an event. Um, it takes place the end of July. Um, it's not what you think about of a folk festival. I mean, it's reggae. It's... Um, you know, there's even some hard rock there. It's it's all over the place. It's really, really well done. It's a nonprofit, which makes it different from a lot of festivals. And it's really artist focused. The the artists are, are, are the showcase, not corporate sponsors. And I I worked with them on the legal and business side for the executive producer there for ten years. After that experience I kind of had uh, you know the the energy to try to create something here. And, you know, we got enough music festivals going around. You know, I'm not trying to make Made in America or something like that. So I wanted to do a nonprofit. I wanted to amplify the Philly music scene. And I just got the idea in my head of a, a, a music festival that is a nonprofit and raises money for a cause that I believe in, but uniquely features only bands from one city. Um, you know, I challenge your listeners to go find – there are some other – festivals out there that for one night a year will focus on some bands but there's no festivals for four nights that are booking only bands from one city and highlighting the talent both emerging all the way up to headliners so um, that was kind of the genesis of it um, kind of some blend with Newport and our our, our music scene it's a, it's a great event so what do you do the the proceeds you raise you go to uh, music education programs in, in town yeah, that's right, um, Greg. So what, we have this thought that at Philly Music Fest, which I say we, it's me and my wife. We do this nights and weekends, husband and wife thing. It's a nonprofit, no employees. Um, we just kind of blood, sweat, and tears kind of nights and weekends. And we kind of have this notion that um, these younger bands that, that are playing right now have benefited, you know, and I mean younger you know, bands that are probably – college or post-college, so call it 21, 22, 23, 24-year-old bands that are up and coming. They grew up in our city being taught music, usually at a public school um, or uh, a music program of some sort connected to school. And in the last few years, really the last five or six years, the public schools have, have cut music funding. So, and, I, and I'm not saying like I'm not indicting the politicians or whatever for that. Like if you have money you know, maybe it should go to math, science, and, and English. I'm not saying it should go to music, but, but we still need to be teaching music um, to kids. So we kind of came in to figure out what organizations out there in our city are plugging that gap. So there's like Girls Rock Philly, Rock to the Future, uh, Beyond the Bars, Live Connection. There's like a lot of good organizations, but they need money. So we have this thought, Greg, where it's like we take, we put on this music festival we hopefully entertain people. We're not really in the entertainment business. We're in the raising money for kids business. But if people are entertained and they come, cool. Um, but we take the proceeds and we funnel that back to the kids so that our, our goal is, and we're only in year four, but maybe when we're in year 10, maybe we'll have kids that 
learn from one of these programs playing Philly Music Fest. Sure. And the only way to keep having this cycle of a music scene in, in a city is to teach the kids, then have them stay here. So we have to have a solid club scene. You got to have managers. You got to have a little industry here, which frankly, we don't have a ton of yet, but we're getting there. Um, and, and you have this cycle of all the component parts. A music scene is not just like Kurt Vile and the War on Drugs. Like that, you know, Meek Mill doesn't make a music scene. A music scene is made by a constant cycle right. of kids coming up through the ranks and playing and then um, amplifying the scene through a festival like this. You seem like a, a, a fairly nice guy. So my question is, how are you dealing with the, the shark-infested waters of the music industry, especially with festivals and things like that? As an outsider, how, how do you look at the perspectives? I know it's someone that's involved in it, you know, for the last 17 years. The last thing I would want to do is, you know, it's hard to throw a show on a Saturday. You're talking about a whole festival. How did you pass through all those doors and the gatekeepers and, and, and so uh, Yeah, it's it's I've never I've never used ignorance to my advantage as much as I do at this music festival. Like <laughs> like um, I'll I'll blow I'll blow through a radius clause in a contract and just throw my hands up and be be like, I don't understand so so this artist can't play this other festival because they're booked at my festival. That's bullshit. Like why are, so, so I, you know, I, I mean, I throw my hands up at a lot of things, you know, sometimes I get, look, I, I get, I've gotten in the last couple of years, I've gotten busted for um, reaching out to an artist directly on, on Instagram and not going through a manager or agent. I've gotten, I've gotten bullshit for going to a manager when I know the manager really well and not going through the agent or the book. Like, so do I play, I play by the rules. I try to play by the rules. If the rules are given to me, I'm not an idiot. I'll understand and then play by that. But if I if I screw up or I try to do something different, I do kind of throw my hands up, Reef, and be like, "Look, I'm not in this industry." But I can tell you though, I'm in a lot of under other industries. I represent mm -hmm. startup companies, and my specialty in my law practice is representing businesses in mergers and acquisitions. So I know contracts. That's what I've done for the last 20 years of my mm -hmm. life. So. I'm bringing things from other industries to music. And when the music people are like, sorry, sir, that's not how things are done here. You know, I at least have a little bit of credibility to reach, be like, cool, get that. But let me tell you, this is how they're done in every single other industry. Sounds about right. Sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, I don't know what you got going on in your screwed up industry, but that's cool. I'll play by that if you make me. But right. let me just tell you how the rest of the world does it. I know when I first read about your festival and other people, indie artists, they were a little nervous, a bunch of trepidation about the big, high-powered corporate lawyer running this music festival. Yes. So how much of that did you encounter and like, how'd you get around it or work through it? I still get that, honestly. Like, um, you know, I remember when we, we met a while back and, and, you know, I think, I think people were surprised. I mean, look, I, I don't, I don't know. I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to try to not be my, myself. I mean, I am what I do during my day job. Um, I think I have a decent amount of credibility and what I told people is I'm just going to stay true to my intent and the core mission of this festival. And I think that that's going to ring true, but I think it did take, it took a couple of years. It took, it took a couple of years for people to come to the festival and not see corporate banners on the stage. And, yeah. and they say, well, how's this business model work here? You see, you're just so-called business person. Well, we take in corporate dollars and we match that with personal donations. We make sure all the artists are paid. We run a really skinny 
um, expense side of our business. And then we had $40,000 left over that we donated to music organizations in our city that even $100 is, is amazing. And we donated $40,000. So, but, so, but the, the point is, yeah, there's corporations involved, but those corporations are not going to be front and center. That if you want to be successful in Philly, at least in the DIY scene that, that I kind of grew up going to just as an outsider fan, um, you need to do things a certain way. And I think the way we're doing them are, is resonating with people. You know, we get some eye rolls. Like, I remember when we had um, the, the folks at Federal Donuts are like super, super big music fans. And, and I know one of the, the owners there pretty well said, I want to be involved. Cool. How do you want to be involved? I said, how about we're going to do put this whole donut wall together at Philly Music Fest? I was like, all right, cool. So I remember leading up to Philly Music Fest year one, people were giving me the eye rolls over the donut wall. It's like, oh, you're going to have a donut wall at your festival. That's pretty, that's pretty lame. And I was like, I wouldn't have one of those in my no. festival. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Right. My festival is a zero donut wall festival. Yeah. So, and, then, and then people get there and they're like, wait, the donuts are free. I'm like, yeah, I love that fucking free. donut wall. Yeah. What are you talking about? Like donut wall should be at every festival at this point. So, and we took it, we took it for such granted. Imagine a donut wall now. I mean, no one wants oh, a donut that wall great. now. I know. That's so, why that uh, kind of that kind of rolls into my question. My next question, which was going to be, is there uh, is there any type of uh, corporation that you will not allow to be a part of this, or is it just like, hey, if you guys got the money, we'll 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 throw you in there? You know, that's an interesting question. I mean, I haven't crossed that yet, but if you look at the the supporters, there's a lot of businesses you never heard of, but there's some. There's Independence Blue Cross, Comcast is on there, you know. So, um, but they're all Philly. And, you know, we've had breweries, you know, Founders Brewery reached out. They love music stuff. And they're just like, hey, you know, like I, we're, we're only Philly. So, you know, we have Victory Brewing, who's, who's more from Philly. And we have other breweries that have been involved. So to be a, I, I would love to say that I'll take money from anywhere, but I have turned down money. Um, but again, like it's same reef as like the band of, that you might not like. It might be a corporation that you might not like. But if they're from Philly and I view them as doing good work and they're willing to mm -hmm. commit money to a nonprofit that benefits creatives. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not going to yep. say like how bad that can they be, but I'll take the money and I'll route it to, you know, mm -hmm. you know, prison relief and beyond the bars and I'll, I'll route it to a good place. So I'll take it. You helped, uh, you helped close the deal between the Phillies and the flyers for the uh, ice hockey uh, game at the Citizens Bank Park was that was that pretty interesting to be in that conversation or was that just a lot of paper pushing it's probably 50 50 I mean it was interesting because we had not done that I mean my firm uh, has represented the Philadelphia Phillies for a long time so I was on the Phillies side of that um, negotiating with the Flyers and the NHL for essentially a lease of the stadium so um, in, in one sense it was cool to be a part of it on the other hand like you said paper pushing. It was really just a business lease of the facility. And I was on the side of the, um, the, the side that was leasing the stadium to, to the NHL, but it, it was cool to be in, it was cool to be involved with. So if I wanted to rent out the uh, Citizens Bank Park for a hockey game for my birthday, what's it going to run me? Um, I don't even think you'd be able to do it. So I think I can answer <laughs> <that question. laughs> You know, I mean, one, one of the, like, for example, it's not even, the cost is so sometimes, I mean, the cost was the cost, but like they, the, the NHL replaced the whole outfield sod 
after that, wow. Irres irrespective of whether it was damaged or not. And we, we talked about that. They still that had before. to do it, yeah. Yeah, it's like, well, what about we do it if it's damaged? No, mm -hmm. you're just doing it. You're, you're replacing that. So, I mean, Greg, if you want to, like, plant a bunch of grass seed, you, you, you probably yeah. <laughs> Some landscaping experience in my background. Yeah. So this, uh, this has uh, been a success for you thus far. I mean, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, like you said, went into it. I'm wondering, is this uh, something that, Music always been important in your life? You grew up as a music head? Yeah, yeah. I, I grew up kind of with music as an outlet for me. I was never, I play a little guitar, um, but no, I, it was more listening and it was more a, a de-stressor for me. Um, it was mainly just like classic rock and stuff like that from like the early 90s and then really got into music. I kind of found jazz when I w went to college at Penn State and um I just always kind of had that you don't hear often. I discovered jazz at Penn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Great um, little jazz club in State College. Yeah, no, there was a great there was a great music shop there. If anyone listens in Penn State, they'll remember Arboria Music, and they had a huge jazz collection. And I didn't know anything about jazz, and it was just Penn State for me. It was just it was just sensory overload. I went to a small public high school, um, Lower Moreland, and up in north of the city. And like Penn State was huge. And for me, it was like, yeah, it was fun. I did all the you know, non-jazz stuff too, but, um, and hung out. But I just was really focused on academics. And then when I wasn't, I needed like a break from all of the crap that was going on. So I just kind of always would, would gravitate to jazz and then um, kind of just went on from there. But it's always been an outlet for me. You want to play something I, for us? I mean, Tony Luke's I, the only person to play live on here. <laughs> no, no, I have the guitar here, but um, not going to play. You, you, you wrote a book about music in 1968. It's one of two books. You've written two about two different years in the 60s. But I kind of want to focus on 68 because I think a lot of people say that for our generation, 2020 is our 1968. And, and we're living through the, all this upheaval and all this, all this craziness. And you, you wrote a book about how that completely, how impactful that was on music. Do you have any sort of crystal ball in terms of how 2020 is going to impact music? Uh, no, I don't, but I'm interested in it for sure. I mean, those books were, there was a period of my life where I was, was pre-filling Music Fest where I was just obsessed with, how history impacts music. Um, and, and I traced essentially from 65 and then on to 68, kind of really how historical events affected the music, the lyrics and music that musicians were creating. And those books, they go, every chapter is a month in each of those years. And it's what happened that month and then what albums came out that month. And it just, it goes from like, light to dark it, it, mm. and then in 68 it's just dark is an understatement uh, with mm. respect to what was happening but but a two couple thoughts there are one, one is i'm not going to say i think 68 was worse than now because people are in bad shape right now but when you go back and look at 68 and you can use the book as um, the 1968 project as a way to do it but when when we say like you know there's riots all the time, every on a daily basis here. People are getting killed. Um, that instability, I would say, is similar to the instability we were seeing in '68. Um, but the sheer, the sheer violence of '68, with the overlay of the Vietnam War, 
just made it makes the, the stories and pictures assassinations of uh, uh, Malcolm X was assassinated in '65 in, in March. You had um, MLK assassinated in April. I mean, it's bad now, but we're not having political leaders just gunned down on the street. Now it was a different time, and then we had RFK assassinated in June of that month. Um, so it was like kind of just unleashed furor of 68 to me when you look at and compare it to now it just seems a little bit more unhinged than what we're going through now and to be honest with you i take a little solace in that to, in, in that to say like from my research multiple years of researching it's like it's not like we've seen this movie before but like um we got through that and i think we 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 just need to keep our heads down vote make the right decisions and we'll we'll get through this one but the the analog is is pretty stunning do you feel like with everything going on my musicians have a responsibility to kind of talk about what's going on as they did in 68 i i wouldn't say a responsibility like again hearkening back to my my age um but like charles barkley said he's not a role model you know like and then now he says he should have been a role model, but um, <laughs> I, I want, I don't think you can tell musicians what to create in their, in their lyrics and the, and their, their palette musically. But I just, part of the premise of the 1968 book was like MLK is assassinated. RFK is assassinated. There's riots at the convention in Chicago in 68. And I put myself in that position. Like if I'm going to go then sit down and as a musician, like go into a studio or write a song, like, am I writing, like, some happy sunshine song? Like, you can't possibly, unless you're psychotic, um, just disconnect from just the heaviness of the world. You have to have – I want to see how that impacts. So, you know, the Rolling Stones, who were made a horribly um, dreadful psychedelic record in 1967 with, like, Sgt. Peppers and whatever, they're – output in 68 as a response to all this darkness was sympathy for the devil was the first track of of their album in 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 late 68 and that 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 was kind of things like that put me on the road to be like what are these musicians saying in their songs and now uh, you know i'd love to check it out now in 21 to your question in 22 because there's some delayed music coming out but hip-hop lyrics are going to be probably a huge center of for me of like reading what's going on. I want to understand what people are saying. Um, but it, it, it's not always furor. It's not always, um, it's not always an aggressive reaction. Like in 2001, I did a little bit of study and then I got sidetracked with Philly music fest. So nine 11, I wanted to see what music came out. Um, and I was kind of like perplexed by there. There's two albums that I think about at that time, which is one is Beck. Um, I'm mostly like kind of an indie rock, um, guitar-based guy, but Beck put out an album. Beck's like this dancey, you know, R&B-influenced indie rock, and he put out an album called Sea Change, which is about the most, yeah, which is about, like, the most somber you're ever going to hear Beck, and I think that was his reaction to 9-11. And then there was another band that came out in New York, LCD Sound System, and their reaction to 9-11 is, like, upbeat, dancey rhythms, and I kind of researched some interviews, and I was like, and, and, his, and his reaction is, the world's, the world's ending. We're going to war. We're going to war in Iraq. We're going to war other places. We might as well just party and have a good time in, in the city. So we're going to make upbeat, like, 
bright, happy dance music. And that's how, that's how that band kind of reacted to 9-11. So um, I just think it's cool to like check that out and see how people are reacting to, to history. How do you find a time, man? Working at a big yeah. firm, <laughs> writing like, books, special are like, Aren't you doing <laughs> 70 billable hours? Are we getting billed for this? Aren't you doing <laughs> that kind of pressure? <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't think about that, but I probably could send you a bill of some sort. Um, <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm just like, I don't know. I mean, I sleep. People are like, do you sleep? Yeah, I sleep a little bit. Like, But when I get something going, I, I mean, my – my talent, if I had to guess, is not picking bands. Like, I've had some success picking bands, but if I pick a great band for Philly Music Fest, it's because I heard it from someone else. Like, I'm just passing along information, right? And, but if I, have a, if I have a strength that's probably being organized and executing, that's what I do. You know, I, What's that? You know, I, yeah, what is that? Like? <laughs> yeah, you guys know that you're on this show, so don't give yeah. me that. But you guys... You just got to be organized and execute, and and I'm just like real goal oriented. I write stuff down. I just try to I just try to execute, and I kind of stumbled into this because I got a business background, I got an accounting background in law, and and I put it to good use during the day, um, seventy hours a week doing law stuff. But I'm fortunate that I can use it to execute on some passion projects, and um, you know, they're all not for profit and. I don't know. I just, I just keep going, man. You mentioned that these are passion projects. The, the law, the, the lawyer and accounting stuff is, you know, work. Is that a part of the reason why you do it? You feel like because uh, you, you have these other, you know, corporate jobs, this is what you actually want to do? Or is it, you know, they're both equally as important to you? You know, I, I like the fact that I have this day job that's stressful or whatever, but I do that and then I get it done and then I can kind of do what I want to do in, in my passion areas, not necessarily like what I have to do. If I had to make money off of being in the music industry, like, you know, let's just say somehow they both paid the same. <laughs> Would you do the festival? Would you rather be a Billy Graham festival guy or the lawyer? Um, I think I'd rather be the lawyer. I think if I had to choose those lives, I'd rather be the lawyer, do my thing. I really like what I do. Um, if I had to choose, Greg, I'd probably say I'd rather do the legal gig and then just go to festivals and hang out as a fan if that was my choice rather than have my day job worrying about, you know, whether Reef shows up on time for his set or something like that. Like, that's mm -hmm. just not what I want to do with my career, you know? Yep. Well, tell us, tell us how it's going to look this year. How's the music festival going to come off now that we're doing it? uh virtually and in, in a covid uh environment what's it look like total new slate of bands booked we had the whole four night run booked um for the in-person we kind of scrapped that we didn't want to like take the, some of those bands and put them on this new one so we just kind of i worked with our more to you know come to a lineup that was diverse in genre in terms of some jazz some funk some r&b some rock, some folk, and we, like, we were able to put this thing together um, and bands, headliners, and direct support are going to play live full sets. Um, NPR Music, love the concept. NPR Jumped On is going to carry this thing live. XPN's carrying it live. And we just kind of arrived at something that I bet you a lot of people are just going to roll their eyes that it's another live stream, and that's fine. But I do think it's a little bit different. I think it's different that these bands are actually playing live on a stage and it's mm -hmm. going to look good and sound good. Um, and we're just going to hopefully get some donations. And then 
um, kind of bridge the gap this year. You know, music education is number one. That's our core mission, that cycle. But um, we had a micro grant campaign that we launched in March, April, right when COVID started. And we deployed 334 um, micro grants to, to musicians that were in need that applied. And um, we frankly stopped it because we ran out of money. Uh, we did the best we could with it. Um, 334 was pretty good, better than we thought. But we're going to take some money, some proceeds from this virtual stream, get them to the music education, but we're going to keep a piece and seed a new round of uh, micro grants because, as you guys know, this thing's lasting a little longer than we thought. Right. It looks like we're going to have to get people through the holidays and into, like, maybe spring touring, mm -hmm. so uh, spring or summer touring. So it's really important that we, like, reseed that and get people through the end of the year and the early part of 2021. All right, well, let's, uh, let's take it there. Let's take it to the blunt. Here's how it's going to go. We're going to have rapid fire questions, and you're going to give us rapid fire answers. So uh, where are you doing takeout these days? I'm doing takeouts from the Greeks. Um, I'm, a, I'm a Narberth guy um, as of recently, so there's a little pub called the Greeks, and I'm doing takeout from there. Any uh, Philly music venue, uh, past, present, that you could uh, bring back that is no longer here, which one would it be? Without it doubt. Be present. Yeah, for, for me, it's the Spectrum. I saw some of my favorite shows at the Spectrum growing up. Um, not Probably not the greatest place to see a show, but nostalgic for me, for sure. Spectrum ruled. That was a great, a great arena. Yeah. Um, how many fish shows have you seen? Uh, I, I, do I have to answer that? Yep. Yeah. Um, Afraid so. Over over two hundred. I think it's wow. Two hundred and twelve. I love it. It's great. It's it's. Everyone I know who's a fish head says that. It's yeah. a community, man. We don't we got we gather and just go to the shows just to hang with our friends from around the country. At this point, the music is has become secondary, which is kind of weird. But it's just it's a community. Mm. What's uh? Give me three artists or groups off the top of your head in Philly that we should all be listening to. Um, all right, so I'm going to try not to totally plug Philly Music Fest, but um, the first is Arnetta Johnson. Um, she is playing Philly Music Fest. Uh, she's Beyonce's trumpeter in Beyonce's touring band. Um, she played the Super Bowl with Beyonce, but now she's Berkeley School Music Train, Arnetta Johnson. She's got a band called Sunny that she plays with. She is a disruptive force in the jazz scene. Um, I guess... Um, after that, I would probably say um, there's a band called Empath that is coming up, kind of indie rock that I've really been digging. Um, and then maybe just shout out to my End of America folks. Um, I'm rocking this End of America shirt, and um, they're great people, and um, go check them out also. Favorite fictional lawyer? Nice. <laughs> you know, I, I'm... I am not like a lawyer's lawyer guy. Like I watch Law and Order, and I like ask my my fourteen year old son, "I'm like, what's going on here?" Like I'm, I'm not <laughs> like I've never been to court. I've never stepped into court in my life, right? So I'm ah I'm a, okay. I'm a I'm a different type of lawyer, but I mean, I don't know. I don't even know that many. But like Atticus Finch, he seemed fine. Yeah, that's a good favorite one. favorite fictional accountant. <laughs> <laughs> BLT or grilled cheese. Grilled cheese at this point. Yeah, I'm on a little thing. All right. What was your least favorite subject in school? Um, 
least favorite subject in school, I, it was probably something in science. I never was all that good in science. I don't know, call it, call it you know, biology or something like that. I ask this question of every guest, and it's especially true for you because you work with your wife. What's the secret to making a relationship last? We don't really work with either with each other. I mean, we do Philly Music Fest. She handles a lot of the charity stuff, but um, you know, she's an accountant too, by the way. And uh, <laughs> it's really exciting here over yeah, the man. Yeah, house. A bunch of abacus yeah. everywhere. Yeah. yeah, exactly. We just our kids are just on calculators all over the place. <laughs> so, what's the secret? The secret, the secret's to execute, man. The, the secret is, you know, everyone says like, you know, you just like follow your dreams and all that stuff. You got, you, you got to come up with it, but then you got to figure out the path to execute. And that's what I help with my clients mostly that have business ideas. Um, my job is to try to figure out how to help them execute so they get what they want. Um, I want to allow them to kind of dream big and, and have goals, and then my job's execute. So I've been trying to take some of my own advice and figure out what I want for Philly Music Fest, um, write another book. Um, I got that cooking, and it's just kind of um, it's just kind of executing and figuring out not where you want to get to, but kind of how you're going to get there. You do you work with podcasters? We could use some execution execution help. Yeah, <laughs> you guys execute great. I don't know what you're talking about. Who, 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 edit, who edits this thing? Whoever does that does a tremendous. Job. Uh, Greg, Greg does it. The two Gregs. <laughs> yeah. Um, what's the worst job you've ever had? Uh, definitely um, the Jewish deli. I worked at a Jewish deli. Uh, I'm Jewish, so I can say that, that that's why it's the worst <laughs> job. But um, I did everything from like slicing the fish, slicing the lots. Um, and, and the worst was I was like a host. They wouldn't even let me be like a waiter at that point. So I was like a host. And, you know, everyone's just trying to give you like five bucks to get a table. I'm like, there's no tables here. <laughs> the deli culture was uh challenging for me to navigate for sure uh what's your karaoke song never done karaoke in my life if you can believe that what yeah i got, I got a thing about my voice like even like when i play guitar and stuff i don't i don't like um i don't like being out in front that's probably why i'm like a non- courtroom lawyer i mean you even see i mean greg i know you've been to philly music fest i don't know if you guys i mean you're not seeing me on stage um introducing bands i'm just mm. i'm kind of a behind the scenes guy and and it's probably an anxiety thing but like even karaoke i'm not going to really put myself out there in front um this live stream um i got a guy from xpn um julian booker he's going to be like the host of philly music fest and like i've already had people be like why is that not you I'm like, what do you mean? Because I'm not, I'm not like the host of it. I'm, I'm running around making people sure we're on schedule. So, um, long-winded way of saying I've actually never once done karaoke. I'll edit that down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, how many kids do you have? I got two kids, two boys, thirteen and fourteen. Which one's your, which one's your favorite? Um, I like them both. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you get you get out of the shower or the bath, whatever your choice is. Do you do a towel or a robe? This question always bugs me out, man. Yeah, it's weird. Um, it's a little. It's bugging me out a little, but I, the answer is so clear for me. Like I don't have a robe, so it's a towel. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, my last one. What what album you taking with you, non fish, to a desert island? 
Well, you're not a fish fan. I can tell that right from the question. Um, because you would never take a fish album with you anywhere. Um, <laughs> they're, they're unlistenable. Um, and I know that. That's why I'm not a fan. It's a live <laughs> show, man. It's, it's a live experience, um, man. What, what's an album that I can just kind of listen to and listen to and listen to? Um, you know, I'll give you one old and one newer. I guess Derek and the Dominoes, Layla Sessions has always been big for me. Um, and then, you know, something post-2000. Um, uh, I could just have Yankee Hotel Foxtrot on from Wilco and just let that let that go. It's kind of got, got it all for me on a desert island. Yeah. Uh, my last question, uh, finish this sentence. You should support Philly Music Festival because? It's the future of music scene in Philadelphia. Um, if you want to support the Philly music scene, um, you can do that by supporting the musicians, supporting the venues, but eventually you got to support the kids because those are the bands that are going to be coming up um, in five or six years. So that's, that's the cycle. Um, support the cycle. So uh, they announced your name. You're coming up the bat at Citizens Bank Park. What's the, what's the music they play? Hmm. Um, we'll get you pumped up. Yeah, take your time because yeah, well, I can edit this down too. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm, I'm just trying to think of like what what slow '90s ballad gets me really psyched up. Um, oh yeah, yeah. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, I'll give you the answer, and it's got a 20 second story, which is um, the answer would be "Touch of Gray" by uh, the Grateful Dead. And it's kind of in jest because um, that's what we came out to because we were a bunch of young hippies when um, on our varsity basketball team. Again, I was on the varsity basketball team, but as I said, it was a very small high school. Um, <laughs> but uh, we the way I out, hear, you were you were a captain. I hear the way I hear. I, I, yeah, I was okay, but um, the uh, the game we came out to touch a gray, which. If you go back and listen to that, nobody was scared of anything. Bunch of great guys are here. <laughs> in, in hindsight, it was like the worst song to come out with. The, the, the chorus is "We will survive." It's like not win, but we're just going to survive. <laughs> um, it's really, really stupid. But um, we, I probably, we, used to, I, we used to come out to "Bad Company" by Bad Company, and we were a team that was not bad company. We were the friendliest. We were like the friendliest company you could imagine. <laughs> yeah, that, like that, was, Homer, that was a big. Homer came out to uh, uh, with uh, "Why Can't We Be Friends" when he was a boxer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Greg. Well, we want to thank you so much for coming on. We're really excited about the music festival. Uh, we're definitely uh, we'll plug it from all our uh, respective corners, and uh, we wish you continued success. Yeah, man. Thanks, going man. forward, like I've gone to the last two or three of the last two of them, and Philly. Usually it's a lot of tension between bands and it's just a really good family kind of feel and vibe with the crowd and all the bands playing. It's a great three or four days, so. Thanks, man. Thanks, Greg. Thanks, yeah. man. You guys do a great job. Appreciate it. See you. Yep. See you. Just the sound of Philadelphia.